Hello and welcome to The Delta. My name is Nicholas Linky, and today on The Delta, we will be talking about how COVID-19 is similar to a game of charades with my wife, Christina Linky. And then on the deep dive with Sean Diller, we'll discuss the effects of the hurricane on the heartland. Let's get started. again we have a full show for you this week my name is Nicholas Linky I am the host of the Delta and I bring in a few different people with me often times to be able to talk about some of the issues around science we try to break down the science with metaphors and discussion to try to get around some of the conversations that are obscured by the politics and manipulated by those in positions of power for their own devices in this show, I like to start off with my reaction. It takes a science teacher's position, as I am, to really evaluate the things that I see on a regular basis revolving around the education process, particularly about how scientific literacy is affecting the youth and our overall populace. Then I will discuss with my wife, Christina Linky, in Us vs. the Virus, how we should position ourselves to be able to focus on how we, together, as humanity, should combat and focus on this other thing instead of pitting ourselves against one another, whether it be vaccinated versus unvaccinated, mask versus no mask, red versus blue. And then third and finally, we will take on the point of doing a deep dive on water with Sean Diller where we thematically represent water in all of its different forms as far as being necessity for life on our planet and how all of the issues revolving around climate change, social injustices, and the overall basic care of our planet. A reminder that you can check out all of our shows, whether it be the Heartland Pod on Mondays, one of three shows, including The Delta, The Marquise Govan Show, or a special pod with Adam Summer on Wednesdays, and then the flyover view with hosts Kevin Smith and Sean Diller, where they cover the Heartland's news headlines. The easiest way to get to all of these shows is on heartlandpod.com. You can also check out at the Heartland Pod on Twitter and some of my personal projects on glassroomhive.com, where I'm featuring Hourglass Science currently. And remember, if you like what you're hearing here, if you liked and want to support us, heading over to the Heartland Pod shop and buying a mug or a t-shirt or a hat or anything of that nature to be able to bring you new content all the time. Because honestly, most of us record this at our dining room table or in our basements. Anyway, let's get started with the show. Get the vaccine. Get the vaccine. Get the vaccine. Multiple outlets echo this broken record to those that are already dancing, those that are already vaccinated, those that already accept the science. But the message fails to reach those that have resistance and reluctance. An accumulation of loved ones and body bags convinces some. But is it necessary that grandparents and children die to solidify our desperate plea into policy? Or is this cost gratuitous? We have suggested that knowledge spreads like a virus, and it does to those that are already susceptible to science. 
but to those with hostile denial, it must be administered like a vaccine itself. The only real way to produce social movements and change is peer pressure. It is how the bus boycotts were successful. It's how the sit-ins were successful. Friends created an in-group, an us, that people were worried they would be left out of if they failed to join the movement. Read the third part of The Power of Habit. Peer pressure is the most effective and efficient way to create an us versus them. Like the shot, knowledge, understanding, intellectualism is a tiny stick, a small jab, a sharp, quick pain of realizing your identity is not defined by a political tribalism. And like the vaccine, it helps to guard you against anti-intellectualism and indoctrination. But it's you, your peer pressure of echoing, get the vaccine, get the vaccine, that takes us beyond these podcasts and creates an in-group, an us, that can finally see the virus as the them instead of each other. Us versus the virus. All right, I'm here with my wife, Christina. How are you doing tonight? (laughs) I am doing very well. I am tired after a long day of school, but I am tired. Doing good. So we had a conversation, and we wanted to share it with uh, the audience to be able to talk a little bit about um, some friends and having them over for a game of charades and how that complicates things whenever you have COVID interacting. And it's not to say that we had friends over for charades. What I'm saying is a comparison between COVID and charades, right? So COVID charades. <laughs> right. Okay. This that, is not a game I want to be playing. No, I don't think it's a game I want to be playing. Well, it's not a game we're all playing, but we don't want to be. And nobody wins. <laughs> nobody wins. But in all seriousness, it is a very serious issue, and there are a lot of people that are suffering and a lot of people that are still going through a lot of pain with their families, as well as um, we still are seeing the death tolls in in America and especially in our state as well, as far as how how it goes on. But I wanted to think about how in charades, those of you that have played, you take your slip of paper, you walk up front, Right, you stand up in front of the your friends and family, whoever it is, and it's your responsibility at that point in time to communicate through pantomiming motions to express to them what the answer is supposed to be. Right, and you try very long. You try to get them to guess. You you work very very hard at it and follow the rules. Pay attention to your motions. Pay attention to um, not making a sound and all that type of stuff. And then it comes out that like. You just get excited, right? I mean. Right. And the last minute, you kind of just blurt out a hint and you cheat. You give your team just a tiny little hint of what you're trying to get them to guess, but it is too much and it's breaking the rules. Right. So you cheat. Right. So you cheat and you kind of let let your guard down almost with yourself and you say, you know what, I just can just do this one little thing, it'll it'll get them over to, it'll get them over to the answer, right? And the problem with that is is that I feel like we're all getting very, very close to what we think of as an end at certain points in time, especially with friends and family, especially with wanting to see people. You miss people and we feel the isolation again. And the schools are opening up and everybody's trying to get back to a normal life still. And when you start meeting up with friends to be able to play games like charades and you start trying to get back into this normal social behavior, 
the virus doesn't care how close you are to the guests. It doesn't care how close you are to be able to finish out the game and say, oh, we won, right? You, you, you won. You, you beat the virus. It's us against the virus. You beat the virus. It doesn't care. And you have people who are playing the game, and then you have people who don't even care about the rules. They're not playing the same game. You know what I mean? So that is... Just equally as frustrating. Right, right. That's what I was going to say. Frustrating, to say the least. To yes. say the least. Yes, that is true. <laughs> so I think that it's... The, the take-home message that we're trying to paint is, is that even if you're getting to the point where you feel like you want to go see friends and you want to do that, just kind of think about this game of charades that we're playing, how we've been in it for a long haul and how it's it keeps changing, right? It's, it's going to be a new slip of paper if we're not careful that we're going to receive and it's going to be a whole new game that we're playing. It's going to be a whole new battle that we're fighting. And I mean, that's always been my concern. That's always my biggest concern is that the Delta is going to give way to the Lambda and we're going to keep playing over and over again, cycling through all of these different variants. And each one's going to become more contagious and they're all going to have their own attributes. And it's going to be this constant battle of trying to get boosters or trying to get vaccinations to people. And if we don't do it wide enough and fast enough, and we don't encourage our friends, right, to be able to get vaccinated, we're not going to actually win the game. But really what it comes down to being is if you have your team members that you are supposed to be working with, it's your job, it's your compassion to be able to play the game properly. Because I know that if whenever you're sitting in the audience, let's say you're in the audience now, and you get the hint when you're so close to that, I mean, how would that make you feel? Right, I would have say, I would have said, well, I was so close. Why did you, why did you do that? I was right there. Right, and and it's kind of like your responsibility because at that point in time, you put in just as much effort, they put in just as much effort, and you've ruined the game for everybody because you wanted to cheat that last little bit. And I know personally, if I had an interaction with an individual and they were they had a compromise of their health, and and we had we had um, that interaction, and all of a sudden I was to get sick, or my children were to get sick, or I was to make somebody else sick, then I would have ruined the game, and it wouldn't have just be like, oh, we lost. It'd be like, that's a really serious loss. Making someone sick, it, the the blame kind of falls on yourself. And it's almost like we want to protect other people in a certain respect from feeling that guilt as if they were to give you the virus because it's just so, you want to hang out so badly. You want to be able to do things so much. You know, one of the kids the other day said, you know, my teacher's vaccinated and she wears a mask. And I said, do you know why that is? Because she cares about you. She cares about other people. Never mind the fact that it is required. She cares about everybody else. And I think that's the most important thing because, you know, these, like you've said before, we have chosen for this. We've selected for this. Our kids, which I did read an article that said maybe late October, possibly younger children can get the vaccine, hopefully, fingers crossed. But until then... We're just kind of playing the waiting game, and at least at our house we are. We're playing the waiting game so we can actually breathe a little bit easier. Right. So. And I think that I would feel bad if I blurted out the answer or even gave a hint right before whenever it was my job to show them to wear a mask, to get vaccinated, 
to use my actions like I was in charades because they speak louder than words. Right. Deep dive. All right, we're here with Sean Diller to talk a little bit about the policy issues and the climate revolving around the tropical depression Ida as we kind of factor in all of the different human applications as well as the horrible devastation that we've seen down in Louisiana. So Sean, how are you doing right now? Uh, I'm doing well, doing well. I'm uh, just looking through some of these photos. It's wild. Uh, the roof's blown off of buildings in New Orleans and, you know, I'm hearing, I'm reading about 150 mile an hour winds. So um, I'm, you know, I'm fine. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, and, and luckily, you kind of think that way whenever you step back into Missouri and Colorado, which is where we're both located, respectively. And it feels kind of isolated. You feel inland, you feel landlocked. And this is kind of a coastal problem that you're seeing down in the Gulf of Mexico, that it's really devastating. But it, it seems like it's just detached. It's in the news. It's a little bit further away than I mean, you and I have both been down to New Orleans to be able to see some and taking some of the culture down there. And I really think about how this has happened within my lifetime. It's 16 years since Katrina, right? right? So I'm looking back into my life and how this actually affected. And I remember being in college and then being all doing all of the relief stuff and going through and saying that the tragedy that's happening going on there, how we actually went through all of that as, as a nation even and the responses that we had. And then it comes out 16 years later, and I'm able to think back to the devastations there. And then this one comes in, and it's worse. I mean, it's, it's obviously just getting worse. And we know that the climate crisis is just exacerbating this problem. So you just want to hit on that real quick before we deep dive into what that means for yeah. people that feel like we're locked inside of America? <laughs> <laughs> totally. No, and it's, it's crazy, the disconnect, because the increasing wildfires and the bigger and bigger wildfires in the West are just as devastating as the the increased hurricanes and, and stronger hurricanes that the Southeast and the East Coast are seeing. And, but uh, just because the fundamental difference of like, we've got fire and they've got flooding, it's just like, it's hard to get on the same page policy-wise for sure. And, um, and when I think of Katrina, you know, the big, they hit, New Orleans and the area both as category four storms. The difference was Katrina was huge in terms of its uh, just geographical area when it slammed into New Orleans almost directly. And this Hurricane Ida hit about 45 miles west of New Orleans, thank goodness, but it still uh, was a category four storm, but it became a category four storm extremely quickly, like in the span of maybe a day. It had been a tropical storm before that and then became a category four hurricane with those 150 mile an hour winds. And the, the, the tragedy of Katrina, a big part of it was the, the levees failed and there was this massive flooding and loss of life. And you know, one similarity is that there was not time to do any sort of evacuation in preparation for Hurricane Ida. And you know, we'll, we'll see the fallout continue as a, folks deal with power outages and inland flooding and everything like that. Right. I think that's a big take home message from, from this event is that 
you see this drastic increase. You see this quick turnaround, as you called it, like as far as rapidly these things change and go from something that we're watching to something that's all of a sudden on top of us and and really um, a force to be reckoned with, for lack of better wording, because I, I think of it as we have time to prepare. I always think about that. I think we always have, we can see these things coming and we can, we can see what's on the horizon. We have the science, we have the meteorologists, however you want to feel about them. But the point is, is whenever these storms come in and it's such a quick turnaround, uh, there is no response time. And then when we have systems, as you're, as you're talking about, we have the, the things that are in place. We, we have a levy, we, we build it up. I, I heard about that. They're proud of how they were able to hold up, right? I mean, like the, the things that they were able to do worked, but then they had this power outage. That's a whole new game. It's a whole new thing that they had to experience. And it's almost like it keeps taking out other pieces that we weren't actually ready for yet. And we're always like one step behind because as it does it, it's testing more and more of our capacity as humans to survive it, to be able to prevent these um, natural disasters from right. going from something that we can see and predict for to something that is completely chaotic and can change so right. quickly. And the compounding crises, you know, it's almost a given now that we're 18 months into the pandemic, but you know, it is different when a hurricane slams into land during a pandemic when all the ICU beds are full of people with an aggressive respiratory disease, especially when power outages result. And, you know, this is, uh, is going to happen more and more often is, is, I think, the big lesson. Every single time that it happens more drastically, more quickly, and more often, right, and, and we have these types of things, more things are going to fail at the same time. That's what's going to happen. Right. We're going to have right. more things that go away and we can't rely on it as much. And when it's all said and done, it's compounding tragedies, you know, it's compounding uh, problems. So. You know, extreme heat is a big reason for the more violent storms and the more rapidly intensifying storms in the Gulf Coast. And this was some of the warmest ocean water in the world that was fueling Hurricane Ida. The water was uh, as warm as 85 degrees in some parts of the Gulf. And, uh, and we're, of course, talking about more violent and more rapidly intensifying hurricanes as a result of climate change. Obviously, that is fueled by hotter days, hotter temperatures, hotter nights, and hotter Gulf Ocean water. And so this was some of the hottest water in the world, hottest ocean water in the world at about 85 degrees that was fueling Hurricane Ida. And now we have a heat wave of 100 degrees following in the city of New Orleans. So figuring out how to survive these disasters is going to continue to get more complicated as we go into the future. The thing is, is that you, as we talked about before, it's a detached concern, but there is a big concern that we also have that dramatically affects the heartland. It dramatically affects the Midwest and where you and I are coming from as well. Even more so than Katrina really demonstrated the importance of wetlands. And if you know anything about the geography of South Louisiana, which I don't know much, but I know a little bit. I have been down there and I, I lived there for a year teaching and have been down at Jean Lafitte. Uh, I think it's the Jean Lafitte National Park or at least the 
you know, a national wetland, something, but just miles and miles, hundreds and hundreds of square miles of wetland that are known to help disrupt hurricanes as they make landfall. And so that does have a huge impact as you go north into Arkansas and Tennessee, how strong the storms are as they rip north into the country. Right. And as you follow that up, as you follow that up, you start hitting our life, right? I mean, that's, that's, where, that's where we're coming from. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, no, and it's flooding. And, and, and then it also, because we're all in the same country, we talked about compounding crises within Louisiana. Then you think about what happens when you have major flooding in Virginia or Ohio or Missouri on the heels of a storm like this. Right. And, and we're seeing that like this just today, there was a storm that kind of came in and we were all wondering, is, it, is this the tale? Is this what we're seeing right now? And it cleared up and we were, we kind of said, well, that's, that's what we got of it. But I, I kind of want to think a little bit about how it actually works out as the climate changes, as we get further and deeper into the years. And as we see this trend of them right. being more impactful and very um, quick. That's going to gonna really come down to investing in resilient systems because when we talk about the power outages, flooding, these are things that can be mitigated with all sorts of different interventions and uh, strategies. And so, you know, smart planning is going to be a huge part of it and making sure that the money's available is going to be a huge part of it. It's showing the test of our systems, right? This power outage and that type of stuff. It's great that we have this infrastructure plan that's coming out to to really push for trying to fix some of these issues but it seems like to me the natural disasters are coming out and presenting us with oh by the way you've got a big problem here that you've been ignoring for a very long time right you have the the snow in texas and we have that shut down there then we have the the fires and we have the drought and we have the the hurricanes and it's all just putting pointing out to us where we haven't done our job to fix these almost holes in, in our system right. before before it got too late. And I'm, I'm thankful that we actually have that coming, but it's been neglected for so long. I don't even know what's hiding under the surface anymore. And when you look up, when you look up the Missouri or the Mississippi River and you go out to Missouri and you go, you go west, I think about all of the different things that we're not prepared for too, as we start investing money into these critical areas that are seeing all this devastation. And then we think about what it's going to be for us in a few years. And as these storms increase and as we start seeing more and more of the detrimental effects of climate change. So I just hope that it's, it's not something that when humanity gets that far, um, that we take note and say, you know, water's a big deal in a bunch of different ways. And it's either devastating or it's life providing. And if we don't take care of it, if we don't take care of climate change, it's going to be more detrimental than it is going to be preserving us. I think agriculture still a big thing. We hit that a couple of weeks ago to say that the drought was dramatically affecting agriculture. But I also think that this, as far as soybean and corn production and exports, this is going to dramatically felt that as well. So Sean, what do you think about this agriculture aspect of how this is going to affect the some of the major crop productions in the Midwest and the heartland. Yeah, absolutely. So for the, all the geography buffs out there, you know, the Mississippi River is the pride of North America, in my humble opinion, <laughs> and uh, it's the largest river system in the in the continent. I think it flows from Minnesota down to New Orleans, and 
it also accepts the the flow from the entire Missouri River Valley, which flows from Montana into the Mississippi at St. Louis, as well as the Ohio that flies in uh, that flows from from Pennsylvania down through Ohio, Indiana, Kentucky into uh, into the Mississippi as well. So it's a huge route for agriculture exports that are coming from all of these big ag states, specifically grain and soybean shipments. And the United States economy overall, agricultural products are our biggest export and grain and soybean shipments from the Gulf Coast account for about 60% of U.S. ag exports. And so, you know, that has definitely, you know, 150 mile an hour winds come in, it's gonna it's gonna have an impact on operations. So there are several large scale grain elevators in the area that have had to shut down production, and we've seen it in the price for grain. There are cash premiums for grain delivered by barge to Gulf Coast terminals usually, and those prices fell sharply on Monday as traders are fearing a prolonged recovery from the storm. So that's literally a financial impact immediately following the the hurricane that's hitting not just producers but distributors as well and everyone up and down the supply chain there is a substantial amount of investment that we are making in our agriculture and if we're not able to deliver that on the back end and i think about the burden that they would have to wear if all of this started falling through whenever their exports because so it, it's going to stop on somebody, right? right. And most of the time, right. it stops on the producer at the very, very beginning um, that that they start taking the hits. Yeah, and- it's a different kind of impact because you know we think of shortages that result from natural disasters as resulting in price increases, you know, but here it doesn't even matter if the price goes up because you can't get your grain from Iowa to New Orleans to Brazil or China or wherever it's wherever the buyers are. So I'm looking here at Bloomberg. They've got an article, corn prices in Chicago sank to a seven-week low because of broken grain elevators and power outages in the U.S. busiest agricultural port. And that's just part of the, the impact. There's more than one million homes and businesses without electricity in southern Louisiana. But the economic impact of power outages should never be understated because when the power goes out for all the homes and businesses, it stops economic activity. Like there's just so much economic cost of these storms and they're just coming bigger and bigger and more often. Right. So I think the big take home message from that is, is that even if the devastation is localized on the coast, right, the trickle, not even the weather, right, the amount of income, the impact is going to be felt where the people are producing what needs to be shipped out at these at this port. And and that's going to really affect the heartland in a way that's not just weather. So how uh, does hot ocean water result in the most rapidly intensifying storm we've ever seen? One of the r- strongest storms, strongest four or five storms in history. So whenever you're in grade school, you might have had or your children might have had it where they have you behave like a solid, a liquid, and a gas. And the kids all congregate together and hold very, very closely, shoulder to shoulder, and that's their solid, right? And then you release them and they kind of run around. I don't know if you played this in middle school, but um, when you run around and you kind of mix between, that's the liquid. And then eventually you just say, okay, kids, go crazy. And they run around like all over the place, bouncing off the walls. You say, now you're a gas. And as the gas gets hotter and hotter, those molecules move faster and faster. 
And because of that, because of that motion, it is able to draw up the water in between. You know, a given volume of air at like, let's say 68 degrees Fahrenheit can hold about twice as much water vapor as let's say 50 degrees Fahrenheit. So just that 18 degree difference is holding twice as much water vapor. And as it comes in contact, right? And as that, as that pressure falls um, and as it condenses down, that's when you have the water come out. So if you think about it, the amount of temperature that you have is the more water that it can actually hold. And for us, that means the further inland that can actually come and start dropping more moisture further and further and further inland. The weather that we're producing and influencing is going to have dramatic effects that we don't even think of. And it has to do not only with us not having water, as we talked about with the drought on the land and it not being and soaking into the, the earth very quickly and being gone, but how long it hangs out in the air. And it's almost right. like we have this elemental problem to where it's like this earth and air and fire and water, and they're just constantly interacting with each other, constantly pulling more water up into the air and dumping it down. And then there's the lack of water and there's fires and there, the earth gets the, where it gets thirsty. Um, I think of it as we're almost playing with the, the non-elements of the elemental world, that right. uh, the traditional elements. And I think that in a way, they kind of got it right that those are the things that we really have to look out for. And I, I don't see um, the modern day science of us being able to push forward and say, well, let's study this more. Because really what's going on, I read, read some academic articles looking back and it was like 2014 uh, was the article that I was looking at. And it was calling for the investigation of these storms as they move further inland to be able to say, what is the effect that we're actually seeing on the Midwest, on wow. the internal uh, part of that. And since then, I've seen no research on that. It's not for lack of data points. It's not right. for the lack of us actually having the information. It's putting that all together because once we actually start digging into that, we might be horrified as how much it is dramatically affecting us, right. how much it is taking its toll on the people that feel isolated and insulated and distanced right. from it. The effects compound. You're, you're totally right. And I think that that's kind of what we'll leave it for right now to be able to bolster and influence our infrastructure that we're trying to build back up. But also the science most of the time gets divorced from all of the engineering and technology that we're developing. But it's the curiosity and the science inside of all that that gives us the reports, that gives us the information to know where those holes and where the problems actually are so that we can fix it before the next disaster. The Delta is a mid-map media production. Please check us out at heartlandpod.com and the other projects on glassroomhive.com.